Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Good day, friends. Welcome to Locked On ACC for February 26, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer, the man, current ESPN and MLB Network personality Matt Vaskersian, once called an Austrian ski legend, but that's another story. Please, if you like what you hear, follow the program at Locked On ACC on Twitter, or even if you don't like what you hear, that's fine too. Or send us an email, lockedonacc at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Sports Matters on Twitter if you want to follow a bunch of ACC and non-ACC stuff and see a bunch of jokes and memes and whatever else. I would love to hear from you. A lot of basketball action last night, so we should probably just go ahead and start right there and start in Winston. Wake 113, Duke 101 in two overtimes. The Deeks outscored Duke 16-4 to in the second overtime. I never thought I would hear myself say that, so let me again say it. The Deeks outscored Duke 16-4 in the second overtime. Wake shoots 51% in the victory, which in itself is kind of crazy to think about because Wake has had its own struggles from the field this year. They shoot 51% against the Blue Devils, and place five scorers in double figures. Saar had 25 for Wake Forest, 11 of 14 from the line, also hauled in five boards. Shondi Brown right behind him, 24 and nine boards. Brown played 41 minutes. Brandon Childress, 17 points. He's another story. We'll get to him in a minute. Six of 20 from the field, but 0 of 10 at one point, and then hit the biggest shot of the game, arguably. 3 of 5 from the line for Childress, also 5 boards. He played 45 minutes and 16 apiece for Mucius and Neef. Wake, 35 of 68 from the field, 6 of 11 from 3, 37 of 50 from the line. 37 of 50. Now sure, two overtimes kind of plays into that, but 50 free throws. Good grief. Duke, meanwhile... Also placed five scorers in doubles. Wendell Moore led the Blue Devils. He had 25, 15 of 16 from the line in that total. Trey Jones, 24 on 7 of 18 from the field, 9 of 10 from the line. Cassius Stanley, 14. Matt Hurt, 12. And Vernon Carey, just 10 points for the Blue Devils. Played just 19 minutes because of fouls. He did snag seven boards, but that 19 minutes was a big concern. Justin Robinson... However, played 15 minutes, had six points, a couple of key blocks, a couple of key boards, and really, honestly, kept Duke in it for a lot of that game. A lot of his statistical stuff will go unnoticed, but really helped keep Duke in that game because you had Carey battling fouls, you had Javin Delorier battling fouls, just a tough night for Duke overall. They still had every shot to win that game, but just couldn't pull it off. Looking at some of the hustle stats, Wake actually out-rebounded Duke, a lot of that owing to Carey and crew battling foul trouble, 41-40. 12-11 second chance points, 28-15 off the bench for Duke, 48-40 in the paint for Wake again due to Carey and crew battling fouls. Wake with nine pilfers of Duke compared to seven for the Blue Devils. Wake led for 24-10 of that game. Again, Things I never thought I'd find myself saying on this program. There was a really cool moment after the game, and I'm not sure how many of you hung around to watch it, but 
After the game, Katie George of the ACC Network caught up with Brandon Childress and asked him a question, and he answered it very emotionally. Then she started to look as though she was going to ask him another question, and the fans are, keep in mind, the fans are storming the court at this point. There's just all hell breaking loose around him. She starts to notice that he's got something on his heart and stops that question and just lets him speak. And he speaks for a couple of minutes just about the win, about his experience at Wake, and just about all the people there who believed in him when nobody else really did. It was an incredible moment. It was a heartfelt moment. It's one of those things that you occasionally catch in college basketball amidst all the cliches and all the hard-to-guards and all the four-minute wars and all the stuff you hear 500 times. You occasionally hear those moments of humanity, and you come to, especially as a media member, you come to cherish those moments. Those moments are really what connects you to what you're doing because... I'm just going to pull the curtain back. There's a lot of monotony in media work. There's a lot of repetition in media work. There's a lot of the same gray halls. There's a lot of the same, you know, media spreads and whatever else. And I'm not complaining a bit. It's just a lot of it looks the same. So to see a moment like that where a kid who's really battled adversity for four years and battled a lot of other things that maybe some people don't realize really gets to step up and be human for a minute. There's an incredible job by Brandon Childress, and an even better job by Katie George. So kudos to her. Danny Manning had a couple of thoughts on Childress and on his performance on a really incredible and important night for both Childress and for his club. What were your thoughts on what Brandon did? He started over 10 from the field before he hit the three to force overtime and respond the way he did down the stretch. I didn't take him out. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you have games like that. And, um, you know, for him, this is his uh, last go-round, so to speak. And, um, you know, I was going to take him out to give him a blow, but he's going to be back in. He's going to have the ball in his hands. And, um, you know, there were some opportunities for us late. We set a ball screen, and they would switch. And uh, we just went flat and let him go make plays. And, and you know, he, he, he made some plays for us. Um, and to have the gump, to continue to do that after not playing that well offensively in the first half speaks volumes to the type of young man that he is, the character that he has, and the trust in the work that he's put in. And um, that, that came to fruition in the second half for us with him making plays and shots. Did you think this meant to, to Brandon? He talked yesterday about being frustrated that he had never beaten Duke in his career and then talked about last last game against them left a pretty bad taste in his mouth. Left a bad taste in all of our mouths. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, we went there and um, didn't play well, and they played well. They were aggressive and um, took it to us. Um, I, I thought tonight, you know, for stretches of the game that we, we, we matched their aggression, um, exceeded their aggression at times. But this was a back-and-forth game. I mean, it's... Double overtime, you know, both teams were playing aggressive. Both teams were playing hard and, and making plays. And, um, you know, I thought for us in the uh, the overtime segment, you know, we, we got hot and we, we made some shots and extended it a little bit. And um, defensively, um, we did a much better job of rebounding the basketball. There was a stretch there where we, they were missing shots, but they were going to get offensive rebounds. They were going to get 50-50 balls and not just getting them, putting them back for and ones. And, um, you know, we, we challenged our guys to go rebound the basketball, and we did a better job of that later on in the game. 
some interesting thoughts there by Danny Manning. And he talked about guys going and getting 50-50 balls and putting them back for and ones. Mentioned that second chance points number, 12-11 for Duke. Sure, those hurt. They came at a bad time in a lot of cases. But it wasn't as though it was total domination by the Blue Devils on the boards. Again, only 11-9 offensive rebound advantage. And if you can play a team like Duke, and again, let's let's throw the caveat in there. I can't say this enough. When Vernon Carey plays fewer than 20 minutes, that's going to have a clear impact on those numbers. And I know that any Duke fan that's hearing this and probably throwing things at their computer saying, we didn't have Carey for all this time. Granted, I'm including that. I don't want that factor to get lost. But still, you have to offer up credit to Wake for what they did under what they had to battle. In the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure this really affects the season all that much for Duke. A lot of people were talking about, well, what are the ramifications for Louisville just 24 hours prior? Now they're talking about what are the ramifications for Duke? I don't know that there are any. I think most people pretty solidly had Duke on the top two lines before this game. They pretty solidly have Duke on the top two lines after this game. I don't really know that there's a whole lot of fallout. Now, if Duke had lost the first game in the ACC tournament that it played, we might be having a different discussion. But at this game... I think it's more what it did for Wake Forest than what it didn't do for Duke. One thing that is of interest is that all the Wake fans were instantly panicking because they're thinking to themselves, oh goodness, now they're going to extend Danny Manning and now we're going to be stuck with him. Folks, just a quick anecdote, and I promise not to take too long with this because we don't have too long on this podcast, but earlier this year, I covered Wake at Charlotte. Charlotte beat Wake. And Danny Manning came in there to do press with us, and he almost looked and sounded defeated at that point. He looked as though he was just done with all of it. I've only seen that really from one other coach in my time doing this, my eight years doing this, and that was Mark Price shortly before he received his ouster from Charlotte. He came in, interestingly enough, after Wake had beaten them on their floor and just seemed listless. Danny seemed the same after Charlotte beat them, and it's been... A rough time for Danny. It really has. And sure, there's some financial aspect to it. There's a lot of other things that are in play here. But give credit to Danny. It hasn't been easy for him. He's stuck it out. He's fought it out. He's still here. He might not be here after the year. And if he's not, I think he would understand why. And I think we all would. But it would have been very easy for him and for his kids to just pack it up. They've got five ACC wins. That's not outstanding. It's not stellar, but they are at least trending the right way. So credit to Danny and credit to those kids for that. Time now for the first break of the program. We'll go ahead and take it. We'll come back, move our focus a little bit to the east. The other game of the big four, right after this, this is Locked on ACC. Welcome back to Locked on ACC, February 26, 2020. Brian Wilmer here. Time for segment two as we head to Chapel Hill for an 85-79 North Carolina win over NC State. The pack, they placed four scores in double figures. Markel Johnson, 21. DJ Funderburk, 18. CJ Bryce, 13. Devin Daniels, 10. It's not as though the pack had a really awful night. They were 30 of 62, 48.4%. Didn't do all that well from the three-point line. Eight of 25, 32%. They only shot 13 free throws. That's a problem. 40 points in the paint. 23 points off of 15 Carolina turnovers. That's fairly significant. Six putback points, nine points in transition. 13 off the bench. Just three Tar Heel scorers 
in double figures. Garrison Brooks with 30. After there was some concern and some question about whether or not he would even go, he went, and wow, did he go. Of course, uh, a lot of the concern about Brooks, when you look at those numbers, and and Kevin brought it up in the postgame stuff, 14 of 16 from the line, which certainly helps those numbers, just 8 of 15 from the floor, but the fact that he worked so hard to get to the line to go there 16 times and hit 14, that's pretty impressive, and and Coach Williams talked some about Garrison from the line. We'll hear that in his postgame remarks. Also, nine boards for Brooks. Cole Anthony, 7 of 12 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3, 4 of 7 from the line. He had 19. Also snagged five boards, dished out five dimes, but coughed it up five times. And Christian Keeling off the bench. A big night for Christian Keeling. And again, it's a kid who's been much maligned all year. We've talked about that story on the program. Christian played 27 minutes, 7 of 9, had 16.7 boards. Carolina, 30 of 61 from the field. A little greater than 49%. They didn't do well from three, but they haven't really all year. Three of 16, almost 19% from three for the Tar Heels. 40 points in the paint for Carolina. 13 off turnovers, 13 putback points, 15 in transition, 22 off the pine. Some thoughts from Kevin Keats about NC State's performance and what they were up against earlier on Tuesday. I told my guys after the game that... um we played extremely hard tonight. Uh, unfortunate thing was we came up on the short end of the stick. Um, give Carolina credit. I, I thought they finished the game much better than we did. Um, you know, they'd been in a couple games, um, to be exact, four out of the last six, uh, which could have went either way. They lost by two points, and then the uh, the other game was a, a five- or six-point game. Uh, I thought we did a lot of good things. Um, I didn't think we played in particularly smart. Uh, we turned the ball over um, at, at key spots of the game that I didn't like. Um, for example, I thought at halftime we should have got the last shot. We had two turnovers under 30 seconds, uh, which certainly doesn't help us because all the momentum was to – Carolina when they went into the half and then there was one possession that I thought defined the game uh, free throw block out and they got four from rebounds in a row that certainly um, I wasn't happy with so I'm proud of my guys how they competed I'm proud of my guys how they fought uh, we've got to do a better job of playing a lot a lot smarter um, for the second or third time in a row I've had key players on the bench with fouls in the first half and it kind of changes us because we don't have a lot of depth so we've got to do a better job and not fouling and um and obviously learn from this and move on coach how frustrating is it for you to have your program in this position um and, and not be able to take care of business against the teams that your, your, your fan base and other people expect you guys to win at this point of where you're at with this program how frustrating is it for you? well to your question not frustrating at all when it it's phrased that way I mean we're playing listen this is still North Carolina they still have McDonald's All-Americans they're still a great program um, they're not dead and um, they won on their home court and our guys have played well and we've got a lot of basketball left in us um, you know I don't play I play for the guys that's in that locker room and those are the guys who compete. I play for NC State, and, you know, if anybody don't like it, that's their problem. We'll figure that out. But we compete for us, and unfortunately, we lost the game tonight. It's not going to define us. Uh, we've got plenty of basketball to go, and I like where my team is right now. So uh, we'll, we'll bounce back. We'll move on. But that in that situation, um, your question, 
I don't know how to answer that any other any other way than I got a team that's fighting and we lost the game and that's it. Interesting thoughts there from Keats. And I think of him almost as someone once described me. I'm not sure whether it was joking or whether it wasn't, but I'll take it as a compliment. I was described as relentlessly positive. Keats sounds relentlessly positive, although there were a few things in there where he said we need to play smarter. And he kept bringing up playing smarter and not finishing. Mentioned a possession where there were four rebounds in a row that went to Carolina. If you're having problems with smart and disciplined play, a lot of that is on the coaches. And I'm sure that he takes it that way. I'm not sure he's going to come out and say, well, I screwed up. I did it wrong. Just an observation. Roy Williams, on the other hand, finally got to have a somewhat decent presser. Seemed in a little bit better mood, although that mood changed a little bit toward the end. Pay close attention to the final question and the response to it. And uh, I'll opine on it as soon as you hear from North Carolina coach Roy Williams. Very happy for our kids. Really happy for Garrison. 11 free throws. 11 straight free throws in the second half. 14 out of 16 for the game. I thought that uh, Christian gave us a big lift, to say the least. The shot he took with uh, uh, when he cut it down to four, I didn't like it all, but I loved it when it stumbled or stumbled or stumbled and went in the basket. Uh, I tell you what, uh, Markel's just hard to keep in front of you. and uh, I mean, he's just a load for us. And then that stretch where they cut it from 10 or 11 or whatever it was down to four, it seemed like they were making uh, every shot was a three at that time. Uh, our defense has got to get a lot better. I thought we did a decent job of rebounding, but uh, we didn't do a very good job of guarding the screen and roll. Their big guy kept rolling, but happy as I can be for our team. Troy, at the under four timeout, did you have to boost them up at all to not think about any of the... I told them we were going to play our tail off is what we were going to do. Come on, do it now. Do it now. And uh, that's all I said. They had, they had to do it themselves. Coach, you said that during the press conference you were waiting to see the boys being pulled up. Did you see them pulled up tonight? I was waiting to see what? The boys pulled up the nails, seeing fire in the future. <laughs> uh, you know, the last play of the first half was something I loved, and that was. I mean, we just made a silly play. We're trying to hope for the last shot and then don't get it, and he steals it, and then he's going to run through there and uh, make a silly pass and turn it over. But uh, I think it was uh, Andrew that came from behind and made the big steal because we're flying around. And I, I love that play at the end of the first half. And, uh, you know, we were down 10 nothing. Uh, at least two times in my career we've been down 10 nothing to those guys in this building. And I still haven't called a timeout, so all you guys can complain what you want, but it doesn't bother me. But, uh, again, uh, I thought we played harder this time. I thought we did come up with a couple of loose balls that were big for us, yes. You guys have been on the wrong side of some big second-half mm-hmm. runs this year. What was the key in actually – executing one yourselves? Oh, I think Christian, a couple of big shots that he made was big for us, and the team had a great deal of confidence that they could get the ball to Garrison and the good things were going to happen. Uh, Cole made a big-time drive and layup one time when we we might have had it to Garrison, but they overplayed him, and Cole took it all the way to the basket and made it, too. So we made some good plays. In the back. Ever since George attack, Garrison's been struggling with his free throws and then come out shoot 14 of 16. You know, what was giving him confidence today? I have no idea, but he shot 17 out of 18 in one game earlier in the year, too. Uh, so I think he did. it's there. The only thing I said to him, this is three or four weeks ago, I know it's before the uh, Wake Forest game. I said, just get it up in the air more. And everyone has shot tonight, everyone, 
had in the second half. I couldn't see him well enough the first half. The second half, as soon as it left his fingers, it had great spin, and that always makes me feel better. Coach, you're 37 4 against Kansas State. What is it about going against the Wolfpack that fires you up? I have no idea if I did, guys. I'd be 37 4 against everybody else, too. But I don't, well, let me back up. We would be 37 4. I don't, I've never shot a ball or anything whatsoever, but I get a little fired up to play conference games and uh, their arrival and. Uh, it was fun to see our guys celebrate in the locker room. Take two so, more, please. You said quite a few times while you're getting tired of coming here and talking to us yep. after the game. How much did you enjoy? I'm tired of talking to you now, but it's more than I'm tired as opposed to having to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm aware of that. Okay. How much did you enjoy going to the locker room tonight and having something different than say this game? You know, it's uh, – without getting emotional, it's tough when uh, – you try really hard and focus and try to give everything you have. And even though the coaching staff, we say that you can give more, uh, but it's tough on the guys. And I told Steve, uh, I was really happy for them. Yeah, I'm happy for myself and all that kind of junk too. But I was really happy for them to, uh, yesterday's practice was ugly to start. And I chewed them out and then we got better and better and better. And I told them that at day of shoot around, uh, that at the practice end of yesterday, I felt a lot more comfortable. Take one more, please. 37 and 4 in your career against NC State. You know, Joel made some waves a couple years ago saying it wasn't really a rivalry. Do you think it is at this point? Now, would you think I'm that damn stupid? <laughs> you need to stay in college, son. <laughs> the last question and the last answer. I, I love the way that Roy answered that. That is typical, classic, vintage Roy. And as soon as that happened, uh, our, our good friend Lauren Brownlow on Twitter was commenting almost immediately about that question. And of course, Twitter lit up with the question. My first thought was, I need to hear that. Sure enough, in hearing it, it was every bit what I expected in terms of Roy's response to a, a question that, quite frankly, probably shouldn't be asked of him, especially not in that moment. But I digress couple of observations there. Uh, first of all, Roy mentioned being able to go in the locker room and have a, a good conversation for once. It is really tough. And I'll just say this. When you're a fan and you see your team, particularly a team like Carolina, whom you expect to be at the top of the league every single year, and they're not getting results, it's tough. It's tough to trust the process. It's tough to give the team the benefit of the doubt. He was very complimentary of Christian, of Garrison, and of a lot of his kids. And I know that he's much more interested in talking about his kids. And you can hear that when you hear from from Rory Williams. A lot of people talk about the jokes and the folksy stuff, and that's fun. But you can tell he really gets a kick out of talking about his kids. And as a son of a coach, as a former coach myself, I greatly respect that. Final break of the program time. Let's go ahead and take that. We'll come back and head to Atlanta. We'll hit the Tigers and the Ramble and Wreck right after this. This is Locked on ACC. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Locked on ACC. February 26th, 2020. I'm Brian Wilmer, your host. Let's move to Atlanta and talk about Georgia Tech's 68-59 victory over Clemson. Big night for the Jackets. Three scorers in double figures. Jose Alvarado, 19 for Georgia Tech. He was 8 of 14 from the field, played 29 minutes. Michael DeVoe, 14. Moses Wright, 10 for Georgia Tech. 26 of 55 from the field for Georgia Tech, 47.3%. 
43.8 from three, seven of 16, just 69% from the free throw line, nine of 13. That hurts a bit. Clemson gets three double figure scorers themselves. They get Amir Sims and 23 points on his line, 10 of 16 from the field, five boards for Amir. He played 35 minutes. And then Alamir Dawes and Hunter Tyson had 10 each. Dawes just four of 10 from the field. Tyson, three of five. Clemson, 24 of 58 from the field, just over 41%. Two of 20 from three. 10% for the Tigers. Nine of 14 from the line, 64.3%. Now, if you look at that two of 20, the largest number of threes anybody shot was four, but Trap 0 for 1, Dawes 1 for 4, Mack 0 for 4, Newman 0 for 1, a 1 for 7 night from the floor for him, just two points. Sims 1 of 4, Tyson 0 of 2, just a a rough night for Clemson. Georgia Tech makes its case to try to stay alive for a postseason bid of some sort. Clemson left a little bit out there in no man's land, unsure of what's next for them as they try to salvage a postseason bid. Brad Brownell after the game and his thoughts. We we just got outplayed. They they played better um, on both ends. Um, offensively, I thought they did a lot of good things that they're comfortable doing. Their guards are very good players, and once again showed that um, they make big shots. Um, you know, defensively, they did a nice job of guarding us. They started in some zone. We we were pretty good against the zone, and then they went man, and we had a hard time. We just at different points in the game, we had a little bit of a rhythm, and other times we didn't. Um, credit to them. Uh, you know, we did not shoot the ball well from three, uh, which is a problem for our team. Probably took a couple too many. Um, and then we've had we've had uh, we've had too many turnovers about the last three or four games, three out of four games, and it finally bit us today. Um, you know, we had them against BC, but we shot a great percentage, so we were able to overcome it. Tonight, we didn't play well enough to overcome that. And uh, again, a lot of credit to their coaches and players. I thought they were very well prepared, and, and they just outplayed us today. Did you expect them to play as much man as they did? Um, yeah. I mean, we they've they've mixed it up. I, maybe I would have thought they would have played a little bit of zone, but, it, you know, it was working, so they didn't need to. And, and uh, they're good in both. That's why they're a good defensive team. They have – you know, they defend you in the man very well. They've got great size with Banks. Um, Moses Wright, again, great size. So, you know, they're effective in both defenses. Yeah, well, we do most of the time. We're just – we had a couple guys not play well, and we're not – you know, we're really just not good enough um, to overcome that. You know, this is – we've had games like this where, uh, you know, Amir scored, Al was – Al was pretty good. Hunter Tyson gave us a lift off the bench. But um, Tevin, you know, Clyde and John struggled, uh, just not consistent. And that's too many guys. Um, That's just too many. Alex couldn't really get free. And when he did, he didn't make the shots tonight. First game all year for us where he hasn't made a shot. And uh, so, again, I think credit to that, to Georgia Tech. And uh, Clemson has to be better. No, not really. No. I, I mean, I, I thought we competed at a decent level tonight. I don't think we competed at a great level, uh, especially offensively. I think, you know, the turnovers, we had some soft play in the lane. Um, we didn't do anything drastically different defensively. I thought we tried to be physical and 
and uh, not give them anything easy. And it's, you know, one of the reasons why they're good is they've got a bunch of guys that can score um, at a lot of different positions. They've got, you know, different ways to attack. Um, you know, their guards are good, but, you know, uh, Moses Wright and, and Banks are both good, big, strong, physical guys that, that can produce. Um, so there's 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 a lot of people to cover when you play them. Twice, yeah, twice, and then we we had chances, and then we got away from us. We gave it right back. They went back up five, I think, both situations. There were timeouts, and I remember talking to my team about it. We we couldn't get, you know, we we couldn't get a, the big basket to t- kind of take the lead and grab a hold of the game. And uh, again, credit Georgia Tech for that. Um, you know, they 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 played well at opportune times when they needed to. When we made a run or two, they they uh, they were able to extend it. Then they obviously Devoe hit a couple big shots there at the end uh, to kind of give them the big lead. A couple of thoughts on Brownell's comments there. First of all, speaking of someone who's been doing this for a while, a tip: if you ever find yourself in a media scrum, turn your phone on airplane mode, please. You probably heard all that buzzing and stuff from other people's phones and whatnot. You think it's okay to put it on mute or do not disturb. Just put it on airplane mode. Don't even give it the chance because inevitably it's going to bleed out over the recorders of others. So a tip from your local friendly neighborhood announcer, put your phone on airplane mode. If you find yourself in that spot. Also, it'll save you from your phone ringing in the middle of a presser and a coach answering it, which I've seen moving on. Brownell commented that, They had a couple of players not play well and were not good enough to overcome that. Again, that falls back on coaching. A lot of people commented tonight after this game or last night after this game, I should say, about, well, is Brownell ever really going to work at Clemson? Did they make a mistake in extending him? And you'll recall a couple of years ago, they gave him a six-year contract. He's got $15 coming to him through 2024. A lot of Clemson people getting antsy, getting nervous. They saw the one big run in the NCAA that they had, and since then, and other than that, they've not really done much. I'm not the guy who speculates on coaching changes, but a lot of discord among the Clemson fan group. If you're going to start saying that you only have enough talent to win games if everybody plays perfectly, that's not a great reflection on you. Now Clemson, trying to struggle just to stay above 500 or at 500 and get themselves to a postseason bid, Meanwhile, Georgia Tech riding somewhat high. Current standings, courtesy of our good friend Patrick Stevens. Florida State now 14-3. They lead the league. Louisville 14-4 behind them. Duke 13-4. Then it drops to UVA. They are fourth, 11-5. And then the massive jumble. Syracuse is 8-8. They are fifth. They split with Notre Dame. Beat UVA. Notre Dame sixth at 8-8. Georgia Tech leads a three-way tie in seventh. They are 8-9. They're 3-0 against the other two teams that are 8-9, Clemson and NC State. BC 7-10, they're 10th. Virginia Tech 6-10, 11th. Pitt tied with Miami for 12th, 6-11. Miami 13th. Wake 14th at 5-12. And and Carolina last, 4-13. Right now, Patrick points out the Tuesday games in Greensboro, assuming that these hold would be Pitt, Miami, Boston College, UNC, and Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. He also notes that Virginia can clinch the double bye in the ACC tournament. 
If they win their game and Syracuse loses its game, Virginia could be a recipient of a double bye. Speaking of Wednesday's games, there are three of them on the slate, and we'll tell you what they are as we wind down the program. Syracuse at Pittsburgh, 7 o'clock over ACC Network. Syracuse minus one against the Panthers. Virginia travels to Blacksburg. They will take on Virginia Tech in the latest Commonwealth Cup matchup. Who's minus three in Blacksburg? 7 o'clock over ESPN2. And finally tonight, 9 o'clock ACC Network. Notre Dame, BC, the Irish minus four in Chestnut Hill. Those will be your games tonight. We'll break those down tomorrow. So be prepared to talk about those games on the program coming up. As we wind down one more time, we'll remind you, if you want to tweet us on the program, do it at LockedOnACC. Send us an email, voice memo, whatever else you want to send us. LockedOnACC at gmail.com. Look where we are. It's the end of the program. This has been Locked On ACC for February 26th, 2020. Enjoy your day. Enjoy a good night of hoops. We'll meet back here tomorrow, shall we? Until then. Thanks, America. This has been Locked On ACC. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)